Hello and welcome back to the fall of the Roman Empire. My name is Nick Holmes and this is episode five called Pax Romana. And in this episode, we're still looking at Rome's extraordinary rise to power since we need to know what Rome was before we can understand why it fell. And in this episode, we'll move on to the golden age of the Roman Empire, the age of the so-called Pax Romana, which means Roman peace in Latin, that 200 years of peace that Augustus inaugurated in his reign and which would last until the crisis of the third century. It was a time of unparalleled prosperity in Europe and the whole Mediterranean region. Indeed, there has never been a period of peace that long, either before or since. So, what was the reason for the success of the Pax Romana? How did the Romans achieve something that has never been achieved before or after? Let's find out. In December 1910, a small group of British archaeologists uncovered a surprising find in the Sudanese desert. While excavating the ancient Nubian site of Moreau, they came across a well-preserved head of the Emperor Augustus, apparently hacked off from a statue. The head is a rather handsome and flattering depiction of the diminutive Augustus. It now stands in the British Museum with its striking glass eyes staring somewhat chillingly at you. But the question is, how did it get there? The most widely accepted theory is that it was taken from a statue of Augustus in a raid on Roman Lower Egypt from the African kingdom of Cush. The Africans then placed it in a temple as a victory offering and a symbol that even the great Roman Empire could be humbled. What makes it particularly interesting is that it was taken from one of the many statues of Augustus that were displayed all over the Roman Empire, for Augustus's legacy went well beyond the political confines of the Roman Senate. His greatest achievement lay outside Rome itself, in the furthest flung provinces of the empire, for during his reign, the Roman Empire became much more than just a military autocracy, as shown by the discovery of this statue of Augustus in faraway Nubia. Augustus and the Roman Empire had become a universal brand and a cult. Augustus achieved this by creating a clear image of himself and the city of Rome as the apex of the civilised world. It was this dream of Rome, together with the might of the Roman army, that created what has become known as the Pax Romana, meaning Roman peace in Latin. During this time, Rome was unchallenged in its supremacy over the many peoples of Europe, North Africa and the Middle East. It was the greatest empire of its age. Han China was its only global rival, but most historians would not regard it as its equal. 
The secret was that, rather similar to the global brands created today by Apple or Amazon, Augustus created a Roman brand that spoke the same message to the multitudes of different peoples within the empire. It was a brand made visible in great architecture, and, for example, the innumerable statues of Augustus scattered all over the empire. The city of Rome was its centrepiece. And during Augustus's long 44-year reign from 27 BC to 14 AD, Rome was filled with grand new buildings. Augustus boasted that he found Rome a city of bricks and left it a city of marble. All these public buildings were identified with both him and the Roman state. And the Roman brand was not just about ostentation and display, it was also about meritocracy and justice. Augustus's most cunning achievement was to promote himself as a servant of the people. SPQR, or Senatus Populusque Romanus, meaning the Roman Senate and people in Latin, was still carved into the eagles of the legions, promoting the myth that the Republic still existed. Augustus was emperor in all but name. He worked hard to lead an outwardly humble life and never to refer to himself as other than princeps, the principal, not the tyrant. He disguised his authoritarian iron fist, where of course he had the support of the legions if necessary, as a constitutional and legal system of traditional values that placed the public good above that of the individual, especially the autocratic ruler that was in fact him. And the extraordinary thing is that his plan worked. The Roman dream succeeded in two different worlds and in two different ways. The first and most important point to grasp about the Roman Empire in the first and second centuries AD was that it was culturally divided between East and West. In the Hellenized Greek-speaking East, the strength and influence of Greek culture might have presented a barrier to Roman rule. But the Romans were exceptionally clever at countering this threat. This was because they were genuinely in awe of Greek civilization. Indeed, educated Romans extolled Greek culture as the greatest achievement of civilization. Nearly all educated Romans spoke both Latin and Greek. They didn't try to patronize Greek culture, just the opposite. Greek philosophy and literature were worshipped by the Romans. Greek architecture was copied with the addition of the distinctly Roman arches. The exploits of Alexander the Great were held up as the military ideal to which all Roman generals aspired. Therefore, when the Roman legions fairly effortlessly brought the eastern Mediterranean under Roman control, as we discussed in an earlier episode, there was no conflict. Indeed, it was a meeting of minds, perhaps somewhat similar to the way in which modern British and Americans have a mutual respect for each other's culture and status. Perhaps more surprising to the casual observer who might think of the democratic credentials of the ancient Greeks was that the authoritarian aspects of Augustus's regime did not offend the Hellenized world. This was because 
because the democracies of Athens and other Greek cities were only a long distant memory by the first century AD. Alexander the Great had fundamentally changed the Greek view of government. Indeed, Augustus's monarchical spirit fitted in well with the ethos established by Alexander and his successors for monarchy as opposed to democracy. When the Senate declared Augustus a god, just as Julius Caesar had also been awarded divine status, this was well received in the Hellenized East, where there was an established tradition of regarding rulers as gods, something which the Persians had started and which was further developed, in fact, by Alexander the Great. Only one race in the East was not acquiescent under Roman authority, and that was the Jews. They had always rejected Greek culture and maintained a fiercely independent spirit. This was the one exception to Roman rule in the East, which was otherwise mainly welcomed. The Romans quickly realised the threat that Jewish independence posed to their concept of world empire and brutally exterminated it. The Roman-Jewish wars fought in the 60s and 70s AD, culminating in the long siege and then sack of Jerusalem and the destruction of Herod's second temple, together with Hadrian's later persecution of the Jews, destroyed the Jewish state and resulted in the Jewish diaspora, which has been a long-lasting feature of the world ever since, and of course the background to Adolf Hitler's Holocaust. But aside from the Jews, for the approximate 75 million inhabitants of the Roman Empire by 165 AD, its most striking feature would have been its economic prosperity. For while the Roman Empire didn't benefit from any industrial revolution or major technological breakthroughs, what the 200 years of the Pax Romana achieved was a boom in commerce and the diffusion across the empire of best practices in terms of agricultural and industrial practices. For example, the proliferation of water mills, water lifting machines and salting vats allowed agricultural productivity to rise across the whole length and breadth of the empire. Factories producing pottery, armaments and textiles were established along broadly similar lines. Again, across the empire, archaeologists still find an extraordinary abundance of artefacts from this time. For example, with an almost endless supply of high-quality and mass-produced pottery, the like of which may not have been reached again, certainly in Western Europe, until the 16th and 17th centuries. Roman coinage is still frequently unearthed today across the former territories of the Roman world from England to the Sudan. Some foods became commoditized, like Roman garum, a type of fish paste that became universally popular in Roman cuisine, a little similar to ketchup in the modern Western world. Factories produced it throughout the Roman Empire and they were mainly concentrated in Spain, Portugal, Morocco and southern France. As the huge number of Roman shipwrecks testify, commerce within the Roman world soared during the Pax Romana. Historians estimate that the size of Roman merchant ships was not exceeded until the 15th century, and the vast Roman grain ships were not surpassed until the 19th. We can even estimate that Roman pollution started to reach 
more modern levels, although nowhere near the catastrophic levels of today, recent boreholes made into the ice caps looking for evidence of atmospheric pollution show higher lead and copper deposits during the time of the Pax Romana due to Roman industrial activity than can be identified until well over a thousand years later. These are all testimony to the economic miracle that Rome produced. The Roman Empire was a multicultural, multiracial and multilinguistic success. A uniform and well understood set of Roman values and belief systems was eagerly accepted by a bewilderingly diverse number of peoples from primitive Britons to sophisticated Greeks and Egyptians. This was the most important ingredient of all in ensuring that the Roman Empire was cohesive. The only other example of such cultural cross-pollination in history is probably the modern United States. But in relative terms, the US today is a smaller part of global humanity than was the Roman Empire at its height. The Romans encouraged a form of globalisation somewhat similar to the extraordinary global society of the modern world, which in which, for example, social media has become a unifying link across the world. Facebook obviously now has over 3 billion members crossing virtually every race and geography in the world. One good example of this globalisation amongst many was the Gallic town of Lugdunum, now modern Lyon in France. When Julius Caesar, for example, was conquering Gaul, he built a Roman army camp at the confluence of the Rhone and the Seine. By the time he had crossed the Rubicon and seized power, it had already grown into a busy administrative centre. After Caesar's death and during Augustus's long reign, Lugdunum continued to boom as a commercial centre for the whole of Gaul. Indeed, it became the capital of Roman Gaul. It boasted public baths, marble temples, theatres, an aqueduct and thousands of finely built stone houses. It had public drainage, stone roads linked it to the Mediterranean, the Atlantic and the North Sea. It became a manufacturing and trading hub for the whole of the Western Roman Empire. Its forums were filled with statues of Augustus. Lugdunum had not just embraced Rome, it had become Roman. The crucial change was that within the space of a single lifetime, young Gallic men and women wanted to think of themselves as Romans. Socially mobile young Gauls were no longer interested in the tribal politics that had dominated Gaul for centuries. They were no longer pitched one against the other because they all wanted to be the same thing, which was Roman. Men wanted to wear togas and women wanted to teach their children Latin. Gone were the tribal conflicts, the crowded and insanitary wooden dwellings, the rows of decapitated heads of another tribe's warriors adorning the chieftain's hut. Instead, they all wanted to live the dream, the Roman dream. Another aspect of Roman rule that was particularly appealing to the conquered peoples of the empire was that Roman government didn't try to patronise or to subjugate other societies, religions or belief systems, except, of course, in, in the case of the Jews. 
Again, Lugdunum in Gaul is a good example of this since Lug, who the town was named after, was a major Gallic god. But instead of outlawing Lug as a foreign deity, the Romans encouraged the Gauls to view Lug as the equivalent of the Roman god Mercury. And it wasn't long before the upwardly socially mobile young Gauls preferred to dedicate their sparkling new temple to Mercury rather than to Lug. In this way, there was no survival of fundamentalist Gallic beliefs that could seriously undermine Roman rule. The best example is that of the Druids, who had always been the most powerful religious and cultural challenge to the Romans. But in Gaul, they simply melted away, although in ancient Britain, in contrast to Gaul, the Druids remained a more powerful force and the Romans had to take particular measures to exterminate them in Wales and also failed really to achieve this in Scotland, which was never conquered. But by the first century AD in Gaul, it was simply not cool to be a Druid, but it was cool to be a Roman. Art and architecture also flourished during the Pax Romana, leaving posterity with such an abundance of extraordinary Roman buildings and statues, many even still standing today, like the famous Colosseum in Rome, that when the much greater collection of those lying buried in the ground started to be dug up in Italy during the 15th and 16th centuries, it sparked a rediscovery of Roman civilization, leading to the Italian Renaissance. But towards the end of the 2nd century AD, this economic prosperity came under increasing pressure for after Marcus Aurelius's death in 180 AD, the date which is most commonly seen as marking the beginning of the end of Rome's golden age, new and unforeseen agents of change would threaten and then destroy Rome's peace and prosperity. The riders of the apocalypse were on their way. And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd be really grateful if you wanted to subscribe, tell a friend or best of all to leave a review. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much. And in the next episode, we'll look at the gathering storm clouds that would start to envelop the Roman Empire. Thanks for listening and see you next time.